global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You are just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we pray now for the peace of your presence, for a love of Jesus Christ, and for a love of the truth, a love of your word. We ask that you would send your Holy Spirit to give us clarity and understanding as we study Revelation 13 and try to understand what these symbols in Bible prophecy really mean for our day. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host, and we are going to do another in the series of prophecy sessions that we've been taking the time on this broadcast to study. We're going through the prophecies of Revelation, of Daniel, studying Matthew 24, 2 Thessalonians 2, and asking, Lord, what do you have to show us in your word that's especially relevant for our day? Now, in the last session we studied the identity of the Antichrist power. It was quite an eye-opener. You're going to want to go back and listen to it. Or better yet, rather than just listening to these sessions, open the Word of God yourself and go to BibleProphecyTruth.com. Then you can study through everything in the Bible with references on the website, videos that can walk you through it. BibleProphecyTruth.com is a fantastic resource. But what we saw last time is the Antichrist power is not some man in the future who lives after people are raptured out and he's this secular ruler from the United Nations. Nothing of the sort exists in Bible prophecy. The Bible does not talk anywhere about a seven-year tribulation. All of this is good fiction, but it's not biblical in its origins. The Bible talks about the Antichrist being a power that arises within Christianity. He places himself within the temple of God, and the temple of God in the New Testament is the church. Many, many, many times, both Paul, Peter, and the epistles, over and over and over again, they say we are living stones being built up as a holy house, a temple unto God, that we are the temple. And that so the church is the temple. The Antichrist in Revel in Second Thessalonians two places himself within the temple of God, but not just that. He actually claims to be God. Revelation thirteen says that he is a blasphemous power. He has the names of blasphemy. And so when we think about this religious power, a, a beast, by the way, in Bible prophecy is a nation. So Revelation thirteen, when it talks about the beast as the Antichrist. This is a power that is a political power, but also a religious power with this blasphemous element to it. 2 Thessalonians 2 talks about him as the man of lawlessness, the lawless one. Now, we mainly studied Daniel 7. We found 10 identifiers, 10 characteristics of the Antichrist power from Daniel 7. And number one, that was th- th- this, this power was predicted to be small, a small kingdom, not a vast territory that it is ruling. 
This Antichrist power was predicted to arise among the kingdoms of divided Rome. And Rome divided in 476 AD. Western Europe, as we know it today, is many of the kingdoms of those ancient tribes of Rome, of of Europe. Divided Rome, 476 AD. The Antichrist is predicted in Daniel 7 to arise after the dividing of Rome. So sometime after 476 AD, in Western Europe, we will see a small kingdom arise. And it says that this nation, when it arose after 476 AD, would pluck up three nations, subdue three kings. That it would have that this this picture is the, the picture of eyes and a mouth of a man. So John pictures the Antichrist as having a, a man at the forefront. That it would, uh, I'm sorry, not John, Daniel, Daniel 7. John wrote Revelation. Daniel 7 also, I'm reviewing from last time, go back and study this through. This was to be a religious power, that it would blaspheme by claiming to be God within the church, and that he would claim to have the power to forgive sins. Jesus said to somebody, may your sins be forgiven. And the Pharisee says, oh, this is blasphemy. No one can forgive sins except God alone, which is true. And Jesus is God, so it wasn't blasphemy. But if a mere man were to claim to be able to forgive sins, that would be blasphemy. This power was predicted to come and arise and persecute Christians, also to try to change the very times and laws of God, and to rule for 1,260 years. Now, there is only, regardless of what one's religious persuasion or cultural background or family associations might be, historically, factually, from a secular history standpoint, there's only one power on the earth, only one nation, if you will, that fulfills all of these prophetic indicators that Daniel 7 identifies as being the Antichrist power. He calls him the little horn in Daniel 7. So you probably already know what nation arose, short, nation, we, we don't normally think of it as a nation, what power arose shortly after 476 AD. It was a small kingdom. It arose among Europe in the midst of the European nations. It arose and subdued three kings at the time that it came to power, has a prominent man at its forefront, is a religious power, yet blasphemes and claims to have godlike powers within the church persecuted Christians for 1,260 years and tried to change the very times and laws of God. Specifically, the Sabbath commandment is the only law in the Ten Commandments that contains a time element to it and that this power would rule for 1,260 years. There is no other power other than the Vatican. Vatican City, Papal Rome, the papacy, whatever you want to call it. It's not a slam on people who happen to believe in the Roman Catholic faith or have been raised in this, or this is not about people. This is about the system. This is about the power structure that dominated Europe for over a thousand years, persecuted upwards of a hundred million Christians dead. And guess what? Exactly from 538 AD until 1798 AD, This power ruled Europe, ruled the kings even. This secular, this this religio-political power ruled the secular powers of Europe. Had them by the stranglehold most of the time. 
Now, this is pretty eye-opening stuff when you study this and you go, wow, why have I never heard this before? Well, remember that virtually all the Protestants from Martin Luther to, Luther to John Calvin, all the way down, you name them all, they were, they were unanimously clear on who the Antichrist power was. This was not a mystery to them. They didn't think it was some guy in the future. No, none of that was understood at the time. That's all fiction in our day. Now, why do I start this session repeating the findings from the previous session? Because we're studying in this session what, what can be referred to as the threefold union, the counterfeit trinity of Revelation 13. There are three powers find in, found in Revelation 13. There's the dragon, the beast power, and the second beast of Revelation 13. The dragon, we already know who that is. That's the devil. It says that old serpent, the devil, and Satan. That's the dragon. Very clear in Revelation 12. And he continues to play a part in Revelation 13 because the beast power, or the Antichrist, is his right-hand man, is Satan's right-hand man. But there's another power that arises and that enforces the edicts of the beast power, the papacy. And that's the power we're going to study right now. Now, before I open Revelation 13, it's important to note that the papacy fell in 1798 when Napoleon's general, Berthier, came into the Vatican and literally took the Pope captive, took him into captivity. Now, Revelation 13, verse 10, ends the portion on the beast power of the papacy with this statement. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. Now, that's an interesting statement. He who leads into captivity, that's a clear reference to this oppressive, dominating power who took many captive and took many lives, for that matter. It says he who kills with the sword. He's the one, referred to in verse 10, this power who ruled for 42 months or 1,260 days, not literal days, prophetic days, a day in Bible prophecy corresponds to a literal year, and it works out in the prophecies with stunning, perfect accuracy in the history. It's incredible how inspired the Bible is. Now, notice it says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. So that's the verse that leads right into the second beast. John immediately says, right after he makes reference to the Pope being taken captive, he says, and then I saw another beast coming up. So we're going to identify this second beast, and it's going to be really, really easy because it has to take place in the historical context, time period, of the Pope being taken captive, which was 1798, when Vatican City, when the papacy fell to Napoleon's army. So this second beast that rises up comes up around the same time. We don't get a specific date, but it's at the same time as you read, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. John then immediately says, and I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. So apparently another power arises on the earth. Another nation arises on the earth around 1798. And this power is referred to right here in Revelation 13. 
Now let's read the rest of, actually, we can identify this power just by reading part of verse 11. Verse 11 says, I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. Now the first beast had come up out of the water. This one comes up out of the earth. Now what does that mean? What does all of this represent? You've got water, you've got earth. What I appreciate so much about Bible prophecy is that the symbols interpret themselves. The Bible interprets the Bible. So you want to know what waters represent? Just read Revelation 17, verse 15. It says, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So lots and lots of people. Waters represent lots and lots of people. So the papacy, Vatican, Romans, the Roman power, the papal Rome, arose in a place where there was a lot of people. Europe. Specifically, Italy. This is a highly populated area of the world. This second beast is arising up out of the earth, not out of the water. Well, what is the opposite of lots of people? Water represents lots of people, so the earth must represent not a lot of people. So this nation arises around 1798 in a territory that is not heavily populated. Now, we're going to see some more factors about this. I'm sure you already know what nation this is talking about. But we'll see the rest of the characteristics of this second beast. And a beast just means a nation. It's not meant to be a criticism. It's not meant to be a slam. It's just Bible prophecy for nations. You read that in Daniel 7, verse 17. We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults... These parents were almost always theologically conservative, meaning they actually believe the Bible is true, and they spent time studying their Bibles. Makes sense, right? If we don't love the scriptures, why would our children love the Bible? Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior Precious Redeemer and Friend Who would have thought that a lamb Could rescue the souls of men Oh, you rescue the souls of men And we're back identifying the second beast of Revelation 13 who rounds out this counterfeit trinity, this false trinity, with the dragon, the beast, and the second beast of Satan's last day's deceptions. Now, this might come as a surprise because you're looking at this beast in Revelation 13, verse 11, and at first it looks good. It, it, It actually has two horns like a lamb. 
Well, what does a lamb represent in Revelation? Christ. So this nation has Christian characteristics to it. You might call it a Christian nation. Also, it says that this nation is coming up. The Greek word here for coming up sounds a lot different than the conquering nations of Daniel 7. Those nations were, it was just like, arise, devour much flesh, and this beast, this terrible beast with iron teeth, smashing everything to bits. No, this one's just coming up out of the earth. So it's arising imperceptibly. It's arising slowly. Its prominence and power is something that's not taking place through imperial conquest. Also, there's no crowns on this beast's head. So this would be not a monarchy. Also, we're going to read in the rest of the chapter in a moment that this nation assumes a position of worldwide power and influence. It's going to be a globally dominant power. Okay, you've already got it. What nation arose around 1798 in a sparsely populated area and arose to prominence slowly, not through some conquest like Rome and Alexander the Great. It's a Christian nation, not a monarchy, and it assumes a position of worldwide power. This is so amazing that the Bible, 2,000 years ago, 1,800 years, 1,700 years before the rise of this nation, predicted with perfect accuracy that there would be a nation arising at this time by this description. And you know this nation well because you live in it. This is none other than the most wonderful, blessed nation ever upon the face of the earth. And why do I say that? Is that is that some sort of nationalistic, chest-thumping, you know? No. There is something unique about the United States of America. Something exceptional. Something beautiful. Something wonderful. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. When the settlers came to this land, very many of them were coming to find a place of religious liberty. And on July 4, 1776, when the Declaration of Independence was ratified by the Continental Congress, the words rang so true, so infinitely true, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that is. Now, was God involved in the founding of this country? There can be no doubt. Because every good and perfect gift, James says, every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father. And this is a gift to have a nation where freedom of conscience is respected. Religious liberty is upheld. And liberty of all sorts. What a wonderful, wonderful, blessed gift. Now, this might come as a surprise if you've never heard this before. Really? The United States is prophesied about in Bible prophecy? Well, it shouldn't come as a surprise, really. If you go back throughout Bible history, every prominent nation that has an influence on God's people is mentioned. Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Rome, all of these were prophesied about or talked about in their historical context where God's people were living in the midst of these nations. And what was the most 
prominent Christian nation upon the earth over the last 200 plus years? Well, the United States, without a doubt. So it ought to show up. It would really be a surprise if there wasn't a reference to the United States in Bible prophecy. And indeed, this second beast, this second nation, this second power is none other than the United States, a land where self-government was established, where you could keep the fruits of your labor, and where the founders of this nation said, we don't need popes and kings to dictate religious and civil tyranny upon the people. No, we're done with that. We will have the most prosperous and free nation the world has ever known. And they were right. Now, the sad thing is, the very, very tragic thing here is this power in Revelation 13, verse 11, doesn't stay lamb-like. Yes, it's a Christian nation. It's populated by Christians. It's got Christian principles of religious freedom. The Bible says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But the rest of the verse that I didn't read yet says that this beast will speak like a dragon. Now that's a serious passage for us, particularly those living in the United States. The dragon is Satan. How does a nation speak? A nation speaks through its policies, its laws. So apparently, according to this verse, the once free United States, the once Christian nation that actually held to the principle of religious freedom and freedom of conscience will serve Satan's ultimate agenda in some way. And we're going to read about it in Revelation 13 right now. But this is a sad thing. I don't share this Bible prophecy with anything but grief and sadness. This is a tragedy to see the greatest form of government ever devised among men is going to be not so. Which, by the way, the, the founders of this country knew this would happen. Thomas Jefferson said, Experience hath shown that even under the best forms of government, those entrusted with power have, in time and by slow operations, perverted it into tyranny. So even the best forms of government, over time, will pervert or degrade into tyranny. And we can really expect that when you look around at our culture today. It's not just the government officials who become power-hungry over time. The people themselves become corrupt. They become spoiled and decadent. They become immoral and pleasure-seeking. And that's what we see in our day. Here's what John Adams said. He said, our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is entirely inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, you can't have a nation of freedom unless the people are responsible in their use of that freedom or it degrades and everything falls apart. So since we don't have a moral and religious people anymore, we have more and more and more governmental power and oversight and freedom curtailing by the month, by the week. This, these events are moving quickly. And so what I'm about to read to you sounds like a crazy, outlandish, dystopic future. But folks, it's in Bible prophecy, which means it's true and it's coming. We read in verse 12 that this nation, which has such lamb-like roots, but it ends up speaking like, a, like the dragon, 
exercises all of the authority of the first beast, the papacy, and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast, whose deadly wound was healed. So the papacy doesn't stay gone as of 1798. No, it makes a comeback. In fact, in the 1920s, when Mussolini was in charge of Italy, he gave Vatican City their civil authority back. So today, we have the papacy back in place, and we have the most powerful nation on the earth, the United States, and it says in Bible prophecy, these two are going to link up. They're going to connect. They're going to enforce worship of some kind together. Okay, this is getting heavy. This is getting serious. Let's read on. It says, and he was was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast. We'll talk about the image of the beast another time. And cause or force as many as who would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So there's a false worship system imposed here. And if you do not participate, there is literally a death decree going out. But I'm sure this is going to look so good and Christian. Remember Herod when he put out the death decree for the baby boys in and around Bethlehem? First, he said, oh, I'm going to worship the baby king. He said to the Magi, can you please bring back word when you find out where he is so that I too may go and worship him? And then the death decree comes down. False system of worship that looks so innocent, followed by a death decree. Verse 16 of Revelation 13. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand, or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark, the name of the beast, or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Now we have a whole lot more to study on that. Listen to this program again tomorrow. We're going to get into that Mark of the Beast issue. But right now, I want to imagine for a moment, is this possible, this scenario of the United States power elite going rogue, enforcing papal edicts, and literally laying down death decrees and no-buy-no-sell policies in a time of total tyranny. Well, I shouldn't say, is it possible? The Bible says it's going to happen. How is it possible? You have to remember that we are approaching, folks, the most tumultuous, incredible crises the world has ever seen. Daniel 12 says that there will be a time of trouble like there never was since there was a nation. Did you hear that? A time of trouble like there never was. I mean, we're just seeing the very beginnings of birth pangs right now with the wars and rumors of wars and the signs of the times and the earthquakes and all of that. It's going to intensify so much. And you know what happens in a time of crisis? What happened right after 9-11? What does this nation do in a time of crisis? All of the legislators stood on the Capitol Hill steps, Democrat and Republican arm in arm singing a certain patriotic song. And guess guess which one they sang? God bless America. They united around these religious sentiments. The churches were packed on the Sunday after 9-11. And all of a sudden, everybody's finding religion real quick. And what happened last fall? Well, the world's most powerful and prominent religious figure 
came to the United States as the greatest celebrity, the greatest foreign dignitary, the greatest religious power, and the greatest celebrity and, and, and security event ever in the history of this nation. And the American flag and the Vatican flag flew side by side. This is already being set up. This cooperation, this partnership, the threefold union. And there will come a time where there will be that no buy, no sell, that death decree, these final events. And we'll study it next time. No fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Not ditching technology completely and becoming superstitious, but how about living in the country? How about going for walks in nature? How about having a daily gardening routine where you are in the soil, hearing the sounds of the birds, looking up and seeing more than the tiles of the ceiling just eight feet above your head, but seeing the glorious blue sky with the white puffy clouds and the beautiful sunrise and sunset and the smells of the pine trees is a lost art as we become merged with our technology with our cell phone continually at our right hand constantly responding to every buzz every shake every twinkling sound on the phone that grabs our attention we're distractible we're not fully present brought to you by belt of truth ministries.org